Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up on this edition of The Intersection, more material from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. From Focus on the Family, you'll be hearing insight into cultural trends and Christian responses from Bob DeMoss. Then it's novelist Terry Blackstock who brings her latest series of books to a conclusion, a series in which the main character, a falsely accused fugitive, wrestles with matters of faith along with a private investigator hired to track her down. Next up, it's evangelical Christian leader Johnny Moore who brings awareness about the plight of persecuted Christians and how their posture of hope in the midst of oppression can be inspiring for all. Then from NRB 2018, it's former Saturday Night Live cast member, now part of the cast of a Christian situation comedy. It's Victoria Jackson describing some aspects of her cancer struggle. And coming up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, he's heard on the radio feature Revival Outside the Walls. He's a successful businessman who is passionate about Christians sharing their faith. From NRB 2018, it's Barry McGuire. And the benefits of parents reading aloud to their kids are explored by author and read-aloud advocate Sarah McKenzie. Also, there was a celebration this year at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Life Issues Institute and Susan B. Anthony List, two pro-life organizations, announced their merger and Vice President Pence was along. Brad Mattis of Life Issues visited with me to talk about matters related to the cause of life. Finally, he's a pastor, author, and media host who desires to influence the culture for Christ. Some timely comments ahead from Lucas Miles, who also stopped by the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at NRB. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Bob DeMoss is Vice President of Content Development and Integration for Focus on the Family. He visited with me at the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville and provided insight on cultural trends and how Christians, especially Christian parents, can respond. This is Bob DeMoss now. There are helicopter parents, right, that are hovering all the time. Uh, There are parents who are somewhat militant and they just want to pound stuff into a kid. But I'm more about the... You're, it's, this is a marathon. You're in a conversation, you're on an extended dialogue. You're using little, we homeschool our kids, so we call them homeschool minutes. We just, it's connecting the dots. So it's not a lecture form, it's leading with questioning oftentimes. And then when you go through that, so let's say, let's say uh, there was a snowboarder, Sean White, I think, who, mm-hmm. um, you know, here he is, top of the world, one minute. And then the next minute, all this stuff comes out about some choices that he made. So the first thing I'm going to do as a discerning parent is connect the dots between us sitting together with our kids, my two boys, watching that and saying, now, the choices that he made 10 years prior to where he is today, do you see why those choices mattered? If he had not been the way he was using various, you know, very... I don't want it's a family radio show, right? But, you know, some of the explicit stuff that he was texting and sexting, those kinds of things, um, just way out of line. Well, that's now going to compromise his, his ability to move forward in his life. And so he acted in his own wisdom rather than in the wisdom of Scripture. And I have nothing against the guy. I've never met him. I, I hope he learns through this. But the larger point is the conversation we have with our kids is ongoing. We take current events. 
we point to the scripture, we show the folly of the choices made or the lack of wisdom and how you now have an opportunity to make some decisions about how the choices you're going to make today that will seed the path mm -hmm. to your future. Well, we recognize that the direction of our life really is a, a sum total of the choices that we have made. I think you've you've hit on an area that is getting so much attention these days. No, I don't think that Hollywood is really going undergoing some sort of revival mm -hmm. or a, a spiritual awakening. That would be a great thing to do. But mm -hmm. there is something that I, I believe gives Christian parents the opportunity to discuss this whole Me Too movement and people that have made errant choices mm. in the past and now these choices, what they have sown, they are now reaping the negative consequences of those. You know, I was thinking about writing an op-ed piece uh, 20 some years ago. I was on the Phil Donahue show. Some of the listeners know, remember Phil and Geraldo was out there and so on. And we were having a debate about explicit lyrics. My concern at the time was the way in which women were degraded, the pornographic imagery in lyrics. And uh, so at one point on the conversation, because there were five musicians, and then there was myself and one other conservative, oh, gee. Uh, I quoted one of the lines, and they, Phil turns around and asks me to apologize for having used the language that was a lyric from the song from the Two Live Crews album. Well... You know, today it's like, Phil, maybe you should apologize for jumping down somebody's throat who was trying to raise the standard and say enough is enough. Our, our country must hate her children that we allow the kinds of destructive images uh, to just becoming, come unfiltered into the hearts and the minds of our very young, impressionable boys because you don't turn into a, a Harvey Weinstein overnight. There is a process of desensitization that does take place, and if you if you don't st stop it here when you're young, you start to be conditioned to think this is acceptable, even desired, celebrated behavior. And so now you have a whole Me Too unit uh, movement that's saying, "Oh, you know, stop that stuff." Well, guess what? The rap community, by and large, gets a pass. It's as if we've had a national lobotomy where we say that's okay because it's art, but what you're doing, I'll take an example. g Easy is a rap artist today, 100 million views of one of the most salacious uh, anti-woman kinds of uh, videos I've seen in recent memory. 100 million views since Christmas. So you say, well, how is he getting a pass for the degrading kinds of things that he's doing but you have politicians and movie stars and producers and so on that are being held on the carpet. So you can't have it both ways. And that's where that moral framework, that standard of biblical truth, needs to inform the conversation. And we're a bit allergic to that as a nation. Bob DeMoss here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website focusonthefamily.com. Next up, it's author Terry Blackstock. She shared about the concept and some of the themes that she relates in her novel, If I Live, the third installment in a series focusing in on a fugitive who has been falsely accused and the detective who had been hired to find her. Here now is Terry Blackstock. In the first scene of book one, uh, If I Run, Casey uh, is, is running from a crime scene and she has discovered her best friend dead and she didn't kill him, but she knows she's going to be blamed for it. And so instead of doing what you or I would do and calling the police, 
she decides to run. And, of course, you know, the reader doesn't understand exactly why she's running in the beginning. But as the story unfolds, you realize that she believes that if she's caught, she'll be murdered, too. And so she takes off, and and, uh, the family actually hires a private investigator to go after her because everyone thinks she did it. And Dylan Roberts is this, he's the one who's hired because he grew up with the victim. And, uh, but he's a, a kind of a war-weary veteran who has PTSD. And he goes looking for Casey. And he's one of my favorite characters because he's, he's a Christian, but he's, he's kind of a damaged Christian, you know. He, he, he's struggling because of uh, the things that he's been through. And as he begins to search for Casey, he realizes how much they actually have in common. And so that kind of flips things a little bit as the story goes on. Casey has PTSD as well, and it's, hers is based on a childhood trauma when she found her father, um, who allegedly, he was a, a cop, and he allegedly committed suicide, but she can tell from the, she actually saw him, and she realizes that there were signs that he was murdered instead of uh, it being a suicide. And the, peop, the, the cops that were involved um, have, you know, questionable motives, and I, I don't want to give away sure. too much. But uh, she does realize that they may be involved happening with her friend who was kind of digging into that her past and that kind of thing. Tell me about each of their interfacing with Christianity. Well, Casey is not a believer, and she she just wasn't raised to be a believer, and uh, but she interacts with Christians everywhere she goes. She she's just kind of drawn to them, and um, so I bring you know in her part of the story, I'm able to bring the faith element in through the other characters who who impact her. But Dylan is a Christian, and he he's you know kind of struggling with his own faith. Um, he still you know loves God and and is a loyal Christian, but at the same time he's suffering. And, you know, I know people like this, and I have been this person myself, a person who feels that, you know, your suffering hasn't, your Christianity hasn't canceled out your suffering. You know, I mean, there are Christians who suffer, and, um, you know, he needs help, and, and he is getting help. In the story, I have him, you know, going to a PTSD group, and and be you know being among friends who have it and doing different therapies to try to help him sleep and that kind of thing and um so i but i wanted to really raise awareness for that condition because 22 veterans a day commit suicide in our country mm. and that's horrible and it's not just them it's also first responders and it's people who've experienced childhood trauma like Casey um, so, it, you know, it's something that we as a society really need to pay attention to. And it sort of interacts with the opioid crisis, you know, because um, a lot of these people are prescribed opioids uh, to sort of help with their, you know, their well-being and that sort of thing. And uh, and that turns them into addicts and then, 
you know, the cycle gets even worse. Mm. Terry Blackstock here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, Terry, T-E-R-R-I, Blackstock.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's the founder of the Kairos Company, Johnny Moore. In our recent conversation, he shared about his devotional book centered around the persecuted church entitled, We Are One, Walking by Faith with the Persecuted Church. This is Johnny Moore now. My vision is for every Christian in every church to care all the time about suffering believers around the world, not to just care on a a designated Sunday a year, not to just pray or raise awareness of in the occasional sermon, but to live a lifestyle of support for, awareness of, and help to uh, the persecuted church. This is one of the reasons why, I mean, within eight months here, I've now written my second book on the subject. I, you know, I, I released uh, The Martyr's Oath from Tyndale in October. You know, we're just releasing We Are One, uh, which is a 40-day devotional, and that, that was a strategic decision uh, with the folks at Tyndale because we want to create a habit of awareness of, of the persecuted church in the lives of Christians. And so this little simple book has a, a reading, a, a Bible verse, and a prayer It'll take you less than five minutes every day to to go through it all, and the vision isn't just for the lesson of the day. It's that 40 days of this will get it in your spiritual life in a deep and personal way, and you'll become a believer who who doesn't just pray for and care about the persecuted church on occasion, but it'll become a, a, a regular part of your spiritual life because, after all, it is a regular part of the New Testament. It's a regular part of 2,000 years of Christian history, and we're seeing an irregular escalation in Christian persecution, unlike we've seen in 2,000 years of Christian history. So logically, we ought to be more concerned about the persecuted church, and unfortunately, too many people are still suffering in the shadows without our prayer and support. This is a 40-day devotional. You gave the, the structure or the outline, if you will. If you would, please give us some examples of the, the type of content, maybe some of the scriptures that you incorporate into this overall devotional. Well, I mean, for, first of all, like lots of books I've written on the subject, it's filled with, with stories. I mean, and stories uh, from now, not stories from centuries ago, but stories from in the last three or four years, and stories that we documented largely, you know, a- around the world, and 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 some of those stories are about the the power of the church, you know, in the face of their persecution, about their their perseverance and their testimony, and some of them are just about the tragedy, because I, I feel like that we we don't empathize very well, we don't we don't feel with with the same feelings that these people feel, and yet that's that's a that's a responsibility we have as Christians, because the Bible says. If one member of the body of Christ suffers, we all suffer. Like the Bible commands us to empathize with those who are in need. Like, you know, there's this uh, Christian family in the book, um, a, a pastor who, who talks about how um, the suffering in Syria was so intense that people would just vanish or they would be, you know, so obliterated by the, by the terrible civil war that they wouldn't even have um, a body to bury. And so these families for these, these funerals, they would take the best clothes, the favorite outfit of their child, and they would bury the clothes, you know, as as uh, the best that they could do. And when, and when I was reading that story, I just I, it just broke my heart because, you know, what if that was my family member? What if I, I didn't even get to to see them, you know, one one last time? And yet, so many of our brothers and sisters around the world that that's the case. And so, so the book is meant to 
to, to, to cause you to feel with these people, not just to know about them. You know, and there's so many scripture verses, you know, all, all, all throughout the Bible about the subject. I mean, I'm just thinking of First Peter 4 while we're talking now, you know, which says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God that he is that he's been blessed to suffer for his name. I mean, these are powerful, powerful words. We read over them. We listen, you know, half paying attention to sermons. But but those words are powerful words. If you're insulted for your for your faith in Jesus Christ, you're blessed. You know, that that's not abnormal. That's a normal Christian experience. And and I, I just think as you meditate on these scriptures, it'll it'll get so deep down in your heart, you'll find your faith again. Johnny Moore here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to Twitter. You can find him at Johnny M, J-O-H-N-N-I-E-M, or you can learn more at martyrsoath.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast from NRB 2018, former Saturday Night Live cast member, now part of the cast of Malibu Dan, the family man, Victoria Jackson, talked about her life story, her walk with the Lord, and her struggle with cancer as she documents in her book, Lavender Hair, 21 Devotions for Women with Breast Cancer. From that conversation, this is Victoria Jackson. I will testify to the fact that, and I was I was watching for you to walk in with your lavender hair, but apparently you that was as a result of your chemotherapy with, with breast cancer, but you decided not to keep it? You decided not to no. keep doing the lavender hair no, and no, no, dye no. your hair afterwards? Well, no, I mean, what's chem- up? Chemo did not turn my hair lavender. No, you chose the, that wig, though. Yes, yeah. but actually it turned it uh, silvery gray. That kind of did look lavender, but then now it's brown again, but I dye it. But, um, yeah, I... I named the book Lavender Hair because I wrote this love song to my husband, and it was called Lavender Hair. Do you want to hear a little of it? You know, this is a safe zone. This is a place where you can feel free to talk, to sing. So if you would like to do that, that's perfectly fine. Well, I don't have I I know you don't have your ukulele. Yeah. Okay. Um, But basically, at my birthday, I said, my hair's growing in, and it's gray. And my friend Judy said, it's not gray. It looks lavender. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw my husband going, yeah, it looks lavender, it looks lavender. And I thought it was so cute because he was trying to make me feel pretty. And I think husbands go through breast cancer, too. And That's it's, a very good point. It's not easy for them, either. And so I here's the beginning of it. It goes, um, he sees me as soft, not heavy. He hears me as wise and not dull. He thinks that I'm super terrific when others think nothing at all. He sees me as funny, not silly, and graceful as Fred Astaire. And he doesn't notice the gray. He said I have lavender hair. And then it goes on, you know. Oh, awesome. And you wrote that in the MRI? Is that the one you wrote in the MRI? No. What I wrote during the MRI, when I first was diagnosed and I was scared, and I was sitting in the waiting room waiting for the second MRI because they said it doesn't look good uh, in a room full of lots of other 50-year-old women who were fearful looking. And I was like, God, please give me a verse. I need a verse to hang on to. And I was looking through my Bible, and Psalm 42.5 popped out, and it said, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you discouraged? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him again, uh, my God and my Savior. 
And I thought, I will praise him again. Uh, it might be in heaven. It might be here. But I will be praising him again. And I will be happy again. And I just found a lot of hope in that. I, I think Jesus is awesome because he gives us hope. Like there's no circumstance that his word can't carry you through because he says he rose from the dead so we can rise from the dead. It, the Holy Spirit helps us, comforts us. His word pro gives us promises. And uh, Jesus really carried me and my husband through this difficult journey. And it really wasn't that bad. Hmm. And how are you doing now? Totally healed. Praise the Lord. Yep. That's, that's I know awesome. it can come back. You know, I know it can. there might be a cell left that's growing. In five years, it'll be back. But I have this verse up on my wall in my kitchen. It says, my grace is sufficient. And that's what God said, my grace is sufficient. Victoria Jackson here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website, victoriajackson.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through the website, meetinghouseonline.info. When you visit, you'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You could also subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. You could also access the Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app. Learn more through the website faithradio.org. And when you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs, one is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content, including recently added content from the 2018 NRB convention in Nashville. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. More now on the Intersection podcast. Barry McGuire is heard on the radio feature Revival Outside the Walls. He discussed his call as a businessman who desires to share his faith in Christ. He also talked about a new initiative called Ignite America. From that conversation at NRB 2018, this is Barry McGuire. Everything we do, everything we say, every moment of every day, we're moving people closer or further away from Jesus. Every, everything we do, it's full time. Whether we like it or not, you can't get away from it. Now that I've told you, you you're going to have that. You're going to know you have that responsibility. People are watching you. People you don't even know are watching you. Are watching you, and every word you say, every misword you say, every indulgence that you do, think of the things you do that are leading people away from the Lord. And so the focus really now is to move everybody every day closer to Jesus. And yeah. we we need to get back to the early the model of the early church for Christians. They didn't have they didn't have Bibles or buildings or anything. It was just their exuberance for the Lord. They loved the Lord and were sharing the joy of the Lord with everybody they met. And if we can get back to that, um, we'll re we'll ignite revival in America. We'll yeah. get back to doing that. And we're going to be talking about a new initiative from Revival Outside the Walls, yeah. Ignite America. But I, I do want to ask you about ROTW and that ministry. You know, there were a lot of different things, uh, and there are a lot of different ministries that are out there. You've really zeroed in, and you have captured that whole area of evangelism. People go to the ROTW.com website. They see statistics that are designed to motivate people to share their faith. So, I mean, if 
you've got a laser focused. Well, uh, we laser do. focus on this uh, one and thing. Quite frankly, there's I think there's a lot of wonderful evangelism programs that I love to influence my life as one million to the Lord. So, we're, I, I think maybe the difference in us is we're lay people, and we're having a blast. We're yeah, having yeah. fun doing it, and and we need to change the this mindset that. Sharing faith is something I don't want to do. I don't have to do. It's for somebody that's gifted, or, or they have training, or they're paid, or whatever. And no, the Great Commission is: go ye in the world, all you who are trained or gifted, or whatever. It's just, there's no wiggle room. I mean, the scriptures are replete on that. We we are called to share our faith, but sharing our faith is not always getting them down on their knees and praying the sinner's prayer. If we can just nudge them, nudge everybody, we say move everybody every day closer to Jesus, and we help them with our igniteamerica.com website. <clears throat> To understand how easy that is, there's no training required. You can start doing that right now, right now, from this moment on. And when you do that, you start living in the sweet spot with God. Hmm. Because, uh, you know, if you think for a second, Romans 8.28 gives us incredible promise. He says, for now until you get to heaven, I'll make everything in your life work together for good if you love me. We, we don't pay attention to the rest of that. We just say everything works together for good. No, it's a contract. Oh, yeah. If you love God, first love. And you live for his purpose, his purpose is to seek and save the lost. If we live every day, not to sell car wax. I love selling car wax. I love to make cars <laughs> shiny. I love everything in my life. I mean, I'm a full life guy, but I live every day to move everybody wherever I'm at. The clerk in the store, the, the server in the restaurant, the person next to me in a, in, in, in a waiting room, whoever it is, whoever I'm confronted with, even in bad situations where I'm in a problem and somebody's been pushed into my life. Say, okay, God, it's, it's an opportunity. Move everybody every day close to you. When you live in that zone, you're living wow. for his purpose. And then when things go wrong, you say, God, yeah, I don't know what you're up to. I know it's good for my good. And that's the end of worry. You can just live like every day's an adventure. You have no idea what God has planned for you for the, for the coming day. So it's really cool. And if we all do that, this is the point, Bob. If we all do that, you know, think of the church is perceived as we're, we're angry, we're mean, and we're stupid, we're narrow-minded. What happens to a, a person who's not a Christian starts bumping into people that are actually loving on them and mm. happy yeah. and kind, and they're Christians. And you start having those experiences on a regular basis. It doesn't take too long before people start saying, well, there's a lot of people I, I'm bumping into that are really nice people. They're Christians. Maybe I need to change my perception of Christianity and of Christians. And we can ignite America. We can really do it. It's a no cost. Costs nothing. If we just turn our lights back on, 35 million of us have turned our lights out. Less than 1% of us share our faith. Less than 1% of us. 86% of the end church want to know. And less than 1% of us are telling them. So it's, it's, yeah, it's that a does, real... Yeah. You know, that doesn't add up gather. really so well. So the problem is us. We've left the world in darkness. People are doing stuff that people in darkness do. We're mad at them, but we cause the darkness. How are they going to know unless we tell them? And pastors, how are we going to tell them unless you send us? Barry McGuire here on The Intersection. Learn more at ROTW.com or IgniteAmerica.com. This is the Intersection Podcast with Sarah McKenzie, author of the book, The Read Aloud Family, Making Meaningful and Lasting Connections with Your Kids. In our conversation, she discussed the benefits of parents reading aloud to their children. Here now is Sarah McKenzie. I first stumbled across Jim Treleese's uh, book, The Read Aloud Handbook, 
when my oldest daughter, so I have six kids from my oldest is 16, youngest are four and a half year old twins. And when my oldest daughter was just one, and that was the first time that I had really realized that power reading aloud can have, or I guess the benefits reading aloud can have even over reading to yourself. I had always sort of thought reading aloud is what you do to kids. You do it for kids until they can read on their own and then they read on their own. Right. Uh, and so Jim Trailies was the first one who sort of spoke to me through his book about the benefits of reading aloud. And fast forward several years, and I listened to a uh, talk by the president of the Institute for Excellence in Writing. His name is Andrew Putua, and he talked about how the best way to help your kids become really good communicators is to read aloud a ton to them and have them memorize poetry. So I started reading aloud a ton, and I, all the things that I had heard would happen, like their better vocabulary, their better writing, um, their better reading comprehension, all of those things did take place. But I think what floored me the most was all of a sudden we had these deeper connections with our family. It's almost like we had sort of inside jokes based on the stories we were reading. The kids would start playing, uh, play acting the things that we were reading together. We felt more connected than we had before. And I, that's when I really realized, oh, this is way more powerful than I gave it credit for before. When you look at, at that dynamic of, of kids actually being read aloud to, even what they can do it themselves, what are the advantages there? There are a whole host of them, the most notable being the academic advantages, even with kids who are perfectly capable of reading aloud to themselves, or I'm sorry, of reading to themselves, what happens when we read aloud with them, there's a couple of things. We can read to them stories and books that they may not be able to comprehend on their own because a child's reading comprehension is always a bit lower than their listening comprehension. And we know this to be true because you can read um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with a five-year-old, but they can't usually read it on their own, right? So we know that their listening comprehension is improved. Even with high schoolers, though, with my own high schoolers, when I'm reading aloud with them, it offers this really unique opportunity to talk about issues and ideas that don't come up in the ordinary course of conversation. And so we can talk about the ideas in the books and how those translate to what we just saw in the news or what the kids heard from their friends or what we know is going on in the world. And it opens up this gateway to having these really tremendous conversations and connections with our older teens at a time when they're kind of pulling away from us. And also at a time when I think most parents feel like we have to be intentional about connecting with our teens or it just doesn't happen because we're all going 100 miles an hour all day long, right? Talk about how matters of faith can be introduced and reinforced through reading aloud. Yeah, I think one of the best things that we can do as Christian parents is help our kids understand that God has given everything they they need to face the challenges in their lives with his grace. And that's the experience they get to witness over and over and over again when they read stories. So if I sit down and think, you know, I want my 12-year-old son, for example, to grow up to be courageous and have integrity and do the right thing even when no one's looking. And, of course, he's 12, so as his mother, I'm terrified this is not going to be the case based on his current behavior. But I know that if I sit down and I try to teach him what courage is in a didactic fashion, that's just not going to have the same impact as sitting and reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with him and letting him experience what it feels like to be courageous in the face of fear or to do the right thing or to be Edmund looking at the white witch and trying to decide if he can see truth or goodness or evil when he's looking it straight on in the face. So I think stories give us this an immense, an easy way to ignite the desire in our children to be heroes or heroines in the story that God is authoring in their own lives. And so when I wrote The Read Aloud Family, I would say my heart 
desire with reading with my own kids is to help them grow to love God and to love others. And I just can't think of a better way than to share stories with them. How does a parent or parents get started? The best way is just to start. So if you're like me, you're thinking like, okay, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to like find a time a day. We're going to read. Well, actually, here's the the best news is probably that 10 minutes, if you were to read aloud for 10 minutes every other day, that's only about 35 minutes a week. That adds up to about 30 hours of reading over a course of a year. So I would say just start small. Just pick up a book and whatever kid happens to be in your sphere today or this hour, read aloud with them for 10 minutes and just you won't see the immediate impact, but they're like drops in a bucket. And over time, it ends up being this tremendous gift. So just starting with 10 minutes every other day can be an amazing transformation in your home. Sarah McKenzie here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website readaloudrevival.com. Next, from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, it's Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute, who is heard on the Life Issues Daily Radio feature. In our conversation, he discussed the merger of Life Issues with the Susan B. Anthony List and the current state of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision. Here now is some material of that recent conversation. This is Brad Mattis. How do the two organizations mesh together? Well, they mesh very well, but I'm glad you asked for specifics. <laughs> um, Susan B. Anthony is the top drawer organization in Washington, D.C. as far as electing pro-life candidates and lobbying for pro-life legislation. As a matter of fact, members of Congress come to SBA and ask them to write pro-life legislation for them. They are held in such high esteem. Uh, According to the mission statement of Susan B. Anthony, uh, their primary concern is electing pro-life women, but also electing pro-life men who are running against a pro-abortion candidate. And they've been very successful and uh, will continue to do so. What we bring to the table is the fact that we are a grassroots educational organization. We have connections throughout the movement, throughout United States and around the world, actually. And we have avenues such as this, our radio program, Life Issues, and other avenues to reach out to the public and utilize their resources, their messaging to get to our audience, and then we can do vice versa. We can use our programs, our messaging, through the resources of Susan B. Anthony. It really is a very cohesive uh, merger of two uh, very similar organizations. As far as the the role of research and what you do, Life Issues Institute, there's been some incredibly encouraging polling data that has been released here over the last few years as far as people that, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of Americans really want to see restrictions on abortion, even people that would describe themselves, self-describe themselves as being pro-choice. So, right. so talk about what you're seeing as far as the, the research in, well, and is that something you guys are involved in? Well, we've done research certainly to show how Planned Parenthood is targeting neighborhoods of color. Our research uh, definitively shows that 78% of their abortion facilities are targeting black and or Hispanic neighborhoods. Part of the wonders of and, and blessings of this merger is that uh, Susan B. Anthony has the Charlotte Logier Institute mm. that does a lot of research, uh, very credentialed individuals doing this and providing expert testimony before Congress and whatnot. 
For instance, when the president shared that only seven countries allow abortion after the 20th week of pregnancy, he got that information from the Charlotte Lozier Institute. And quietly, they are doing this research, and we at Life Issues Institute and others then are trumpeting this message as a tool and a way to further our cause. It's very interesting, something that just came to mind. I know that the head of the SBA list, Marjorie Dannenfelser, was actually selected by the president, I believe during the transition, uh, after he was elected, to, to actually serve as a pro-life advisor. Well, largely it was during the campaign. Was but, it okay? But, but also during the transition, yes. And he couldn't have chosen a better person. And, of course, that created additional ties to the West Wing and in particularly uh, to the office of the vice president. Uh, Marjorie's a fairly regular visitor of the White House and the vice president. So that relationship was there, it was solid and good when we asked him to come to our luncheon. I think it is very interesting also, during the, the early part of the campaign, during the primary season, that Susan B. Anthony List was involved in well, they were, let's just say they were rather critical of the future president, of, <laughs> of President Trump. Indeed they and, were. And, you know, you, you just think, and this probably calls for a bit of speculation, but just the impact of having pro-life women all across America that are attempting to hold a presidential candidate accountable for his views on life. Perhaps that had a, a long-term impact. Well, yeah, I think God has a way of using everything <laughs> for his good, yeah. and it certainly turned out good here. And, and early on, when uh, Trump became the nominee, uh, uh, Susan B. Anthony got behind his, his candidacy wholeheartedly. And I think that uh, good people were put around the candidate at the time, good godly people that were giving him advice, and at the same time, the left was relentlessly attacking him, which was a positive from our point of view because it pushed him in our direction. And since that time, we've done a lot of work to solidify his position on various, um, you know, faith issues. Brad Mattis here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website lifeissues.org. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast from NRB 2018, it's Lucas Miles, pastor of Oasis Church in Granger, Indiana, the author of the book, Good God, the One We Want to Believe in But Are Afraid to Embrace, also principal and founder of Miles Media, and host of the Lucas Miles Show at FaithWire.com. In our conversation, he discussed his ministry activities and spoke about Christians being influential in the culture. Here now from that conversation, it's Lucas Miles. We're making a switch to the name Influence Church. It's been a couple years in the making. And uh, Granger, Indiana is just outside of South Bend, kind of Notre Dame, university country, so a big football town. Uh, I can almost hit a golf ball to Michigan. That's about how far <laughs> north we are in Indiana. So it's, it's cold about half the year. But, uh, you know, we're really excited about uh, this, this branding change for us and adopting this name Influence Church and Influence Network. And, you know, we work with church plants uh, quite a bit in the developing uh, world, uh, specifically East Africa, Mexico, a little bit in the Caribbean. And uh, we've done some work historically in Asia as well. So it's, uh, it's a very exciting time for us. That is awesome. And tell me just a bit, you had written a book a couple of years ago called Good God. Yeah. And you're, you're also doing the writing thing as well? Yes. Um, Good God was the, uh, the first uh, sort of nationally published book that we put out there. There's another ebook called Unstoppable Grace that's been fairly popular as well on Amazon. 
that I wrote a couple of years ago. But um, Good God has just been an adventure. I mean, since that book has come <laughs> out, I feel like we haven't stopped moving and have barely slept. It's been so exciting. Uh, just seeing the testimonies from that book. We've done a lot of uh, um, you know, ministry events all over the country with my team, and I've been able to speak you know, in front of thousands of people, just sharing with them what I believe is this unbel- you know, just incredible news, almost too, be- too good to be true news about who God is. Well, and I wanted you to elaborate just a bit as far as the message of the book. Uh, tell me about what you really wanted to communicate and why you feel like people have resonated with it so much. You know, I think that um, there is a, there's a desire on the inside of us to, and, a, and a, in, an innate knowledge of who God is. But as we get into, you know, the hurts of life and, you know, when you feel like you get those footprints on your heart of people stepping on you and, you know, sometimes it's it's uh, being beat up by, you know, religion or performance or whatever that is, then our our um, we get into a cycle of, of guilt and viewing God more as a as a judge rather than a, a good father. And in this book, I go through what I believe are some of the, the most challenging passages of Scripture. I call some of them problem passages because when we look at them, it, it sometimes appears as if God is the source of our pain. You know, one of the biggest ones would be the book of Job. And I go through the book systematically, really try to break that down, but in a conversational way to help people understand that God is not only not the source of our pain, but he also is always working on our behalf. And it's just an incredible revelation when you see that the Father loves us, he's for us, and he is working on our behalf 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. He's a good God. Awesome. Well, let's talk just a bit about what God has placed on your heart with respect to using that word, of course, as you're talking about the transition to this new church and ministry name of influence. What do you see as perhaps your role in influencing culture? Because you're you're someone, obviously, that is using media to effectively communicate God's truth. So talk about that, if you would. You know, I think everybody has a sphere of influence. Everybody has a a sort of, um, uh, you know, a group of people that they interact with on a regular basis, uh, that they're able to touch their lives. And even people that might not see themselves as influential, you know, if you have a pulse, you have influence with somebody. (laughs) It, It might not always be positive influence, but you have influence. And so I really believe that as believers that we need to recognize this influence and embrace it. I've said for a long time that I think the two most influential places in the world are D.C. and L.A. And so uh, as a ministry, you know, you think, well, what does that have to do with South Bend, Indiana or Granger, Indiana? But I, I always tell people that we're in the middle. You know, we get to, it's, it's easy access to both of these places. And so for about five, six years now, I've been working in L.A. on a regular basis. Uh, we have a film company that we've developed. We've worked on quite a few uh, uh, feature-length projects. We just released a film called Crowning Jewels. Uh, we have another film called Rodeo Girl on, um, on Netflix. And we're, we're producing good family content. And so for us, influence is about looking for opportunities to influence influencers, to influence uh, people not only just with a positive message, but ultimately with the gospel. And that's, that's really what this is all about. Lucas Smiles here on The Intersection. Find out more through lucasmiles.org. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly presentation of The Meeting House. Learn more through meetinghouseonline.info. There's a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection podcast. You could also subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. Two blogs are accessible. You could also follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. And you can get connected to video content, including recently added content from the NRB convention. 
Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for coming along for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.